Good evening, everyone. <coughs> Did everybody get back from the break? It seemed like it was quite short there. Um, I guess so. <coughs> I had a little attack there in the Zazen period of a little um, tickle in my throat. So thank you, Brendan, for uh, rescuing me with a, a lozenge. Uh, after the Zazen period. Ah, I was suspecting maybe not everyone had gotten back yet. So, uh, uh, recently I've been reading a book uh, called, um, well actually I've been listening to the book on the audio, um, a book called uh, The Master and His Emissary. And uh, this book is uh, about the uh, uh, recent research and understandings uh, resulting from the fact that we human beings have um, a split brain. Uh, we have a, a right lobe and a left lobe. Uh, but the book is uh, quite a bit about um, um, bringing us up to date on the uh, the issues regarding and the understanding of what this the implications of this split brain are for us and the the old understanding uh, is quite a bit out and and uh, the uh, there's a new understanding being developed and I'm not very far along in this book uh, but it's 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 kind of deep uh, scientifically and not so easy, but I came across um, <clears throat> a one thing in there, um, a, a quote um, from um, the great uh, psychologist uh, Carl Jung. And I thought that quote had some, some relevance and interest for our practice. And it's a, it's a very short quote. Um, and it's about, it's about our thinking uh, otherwise known as cognition. Um, and the quote is, all cognition is recognition. And um, what I, I've been mulling over that, that phrase for a few days and um, I, find it, uh, I find it quite uh, interesting and, and consonant with our understanding in in Buddhist uh, the Buddhist understanding uh, that <clears throat> our experience uh, very common sense way uh, comes uh, to us through our senses right? we receive we receive uh, as we often you know we often mention the sense the senses in our chants right you know, eye ear nose tongue body mind we uh, we often mentioned, and the objects of the senses are always a subject of interest and study uh, in Buddhism because uh, this is how we receive uh, information about mm, our environment, and and the senses are what connects us to the environment. Um, but in Buddhism, of course, we have a sixth sense, and it's not ESP. It's it's um, it's the mind, 
or it's our ability to cognize. And the, and the objects of cognition are thoughts. Um, so um, when we say all cognition is recognition, uh, there is an implication that um, information is coming to us uh, in all these different ways, right? Through the senses, lots of we're experiencing. We have an ability through the senses to experience, and then because we're humans, we have the ability to think about the experience that we're having. So uh, you could say that this quote is like. Uh, all cognition is uh, cognition again, recognition, right? All cognition is, is uh, in a sense, lagging behind our experience, our direct experience, and uh, talking about it, thinking about it. Um, and, of course, we know uh, commenting on it, right? So, and, and, and in fact, this cognition is doing so much, uh, such a good job, it's so good at its job of thinking, uh, that it actually uh, obscures, it actually obscures, you know, our ability to, to touch uh, and hear and see our, you know, things as they're just, just as they're arriving, just as they are. Um, and uh, so, so I think, th think this is uh, a, a an important insight. And uh, oh, and, and the other way I thought uh, that you could you could uh, uh, rephrase Jung's <coughs> Jung's uh, statement is, all thought is an afterthought. In other words, after it, there's, there's a little bit of lag. I feel like there's there, this is this is. This is also talking about the fact that um, that uh, thinking us uh, separates us in time uh, from our direct experience, so that there's there's some there's some mm, lag built into this. Um, but in any case, um, I, I think it's it's an important insight, and I um, I heard this 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 quote. Uh, after uh, some of us uh, were at Tassajara about a month ago, uh, a, a, a subset of this uh, sangha um, represented tonight here by Oscar and Larry and Susan um, were at uh, an event called uh, Sangha Week at uh, Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, a, a remote um Zen practice place. And Karen oh, and Karen on the screen. Yes, thank you. Yeah, was at uh, this remote mountain. In fact, she was in the same room as me. <laughs> uh, and uh, so retrospectively, I reflected on an experience that I I had um, there at Tassajara, and I thought, oh, this is a good example of this this. Uh, the way this phrase and what, it, what its implications are. So uh, we were there for five days, and we had an opportunity to uh, sit in the zendo morning and evening, and uh, we had an opportunity to have meals with the residents, the people that live there, 
and work with them through the morning. And uh, then uh, in the afternoon, we had an opportunity to uh, sit together as a Sangha group in a, a beautiful room and um, sit zazen and also, and also study. Uh, and we had, the, we had the sound of, we had the beautiful background sound of Tassajara Creek uh, coming to our ears. And we had uh, beautiful uh, flowers in the garden and lots of bird song, lots of bird song. So a lot of sense, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of, and also a lot of uh, a kind of pretty calm environment. You'd say this is a pretty calm environment. It's not a practice period, so there's a little bit more um, ebullience than usual, uh, but uh, still. Uh, Tassajara Zen Mountain Center has a kind of energy, you know, it, it's a long-standing practice place of some, what, 50, 60 years now, and it has, uh, it has uh, a kind of uh, radiant um, calmness that uh, does tend to, even, you know, in the midst of ordinary activities kind of suffuse your body and mind. Uh, so uh, I think about the uh, fifth day of this retreat, or the fourth or fifth day. I don't know where I was uh, and when this thought arose, but there's a phrase that came to mind, a Zen phrase that came to mind. And this phrase was, uh, mind like a wall. Mind like a wall. And uh, I thought, oh yeah, and I read this, all cognition is, is, is uh, recognition. I thought this is a perfect example of that phrase because it wasn't like the insight was mind like a wall. It was because what was, what, what was arising in me was that experience of of calm and stability and uh, kind of a determination, you know, walls are very uh, very fixed and uh, and, uh, and steady. They're not going anywhere, and that kind of uh, steadiness and stability and um, firmness of mind was arising in me and it was all, but it was already there you see it was already it had already arisen and the thinking mind like a wall wasn't like bringing it on it was already there it was just being recognized it was just being recognized that this mind uh, had had arrived you know or I had arrived with it, or together we arose. We came up together. So all cognition, this, 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 this kind of thinking. So, so the, 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 the interesting thing is the words, the words really aren't the insight. That's not, the words are just a stock Zen phrase that gets floated around, you know. But, but when the experience rises in your body-mind, that's the insight. That's the that's the practice working, and then the words, 
are the verification. They're, they're, uh, you know, that's the words come along and, and, and say, yep, that's right. <laughs> that's the way it is. This mind of steadiness, stillness, you know. Um, and it's kind of, uh, and, and my feeling about this, 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 this mind that arose in that environment was this, this mind had a kind of power. And, uh, and it had a kind of wonderful power. And, you know, uh, I can't name it, but according to, uh, I can't name all the powers, but there are powers, the 10 powers that are, that are, that are uh, uh, said to arise uh, when one is practicing. So I, can't, I don't think I can name one of them actually, but there are 10. Somebody can look it up later. But here's the one I'm here's the one I'm saying was arising there, and that is the power to um, meet uh, delusive thinking, and uh, you know I'm thinking like it's a, like an image you know that coyote that runs along in the in the cartoon you know remember old people Wiley Coyote or something he runs along and and all of a sudden there's some obstacle and he goes. He runs up against this obstacle, and you know he's always crashing in, in into things that way. Or, or his 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 uh, his nemesis, the the rabbit, is always Road like Roadrunner. Road oh, okay. <laughs> Even Brendan knows. Wow. Okay. How old do you have to be to know the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote? Anyway, so so this mind is like that obstacle that comes up and says, nope. You shall not pass. You, you afflictive emotion, you delusive thinking, not now, don't come. You know, this, this is not for you. And uh, so this, this is a kind of power, right? This is a p- kind of power that can arise in our practice. Um, long ago, I read, <clears throat> I read uh, a quote from um, Aya Kema. She was a, I think she was a German, but she lived in, I believe, Sri Lanka for a, a very long time. She was a Buddhist teacher, and she wrote a, several books. And I, I remember reading this quote, and I, 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 this quote has been a koan for me for many years. Um, she says, uh, blah, 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 when you're, uh, when you're practicing this way, you can think what you want to think. When you're practicing this way, you can think what you want to think. And, uh, you know, with this uh, uh, recognition, recognition of, of the difference between, you know, experiencing something and thinking about it and putting words to it, I can say that, okay, I uh, came a, I kind of get you now. I kind of get you now that this is one of the powers of practice, that you can actually think what you want to think and and also not think about what you don't want to think about. So this is a power of practice. And uh, sometimes uh, it can arise for us. And when it does, 
it benefits us and it benefits the people around us. It benefits uh, everyone uh, because um, uh, whatever, uh, whatever afflictive thinking is on the edge of your consciousness or arises uh, in, the, in, in the periphery, um, you can turn it away. You can just say, no, not now. Um, uh, my consciousness is quite stable and free, and I choose uh, not to let you come in. You afflictive thinking, you afflictive emotions. I choose not to let you come in. So this is a kind of power, and uh, it's a... Uh, I think it's 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 a power of um, of this practice. It's a power of this practice, and it's a power. It, it's connected, you know, to the power of this place where I happened to be practicing that month ago. Uh, because you know we weren't doing that much sitting. I think Larry commented, we're only sitting one period in the morning, albeit it was an hour long. Uh, and one period in the evening. So not an intensive retreat. Um, uh, yet, uh, there is something in this, the power of the place too, the power of the people who are practicing there, the power of the fact that that, that practice has been going on there so long. So I wrote something here, the wall is at a complete standstill. This mind like a wall is at a complete standstill. It's not going anywhere. When you come to a complete standstill, mind like a wall, there is no activity that compares to it. It is the end of the wanting mind, the end of thinking good and bad the end of comparing yourself to others, yourself to others. So we, we don't do this practice for nothing. We don't. We do this, you know, we don't, we, we don't do it either to get, to get this special power, you know, but, but if this special power comes, we welcome it. We welcome that kind of that kind of power then of not comparing ourselves to others, of not thinking good, bad, not judging, not criticizing. You know, when that kind of power comes, we say, "Thank you very much. So grateful." Yeah. Another attribute of a wall referenced in talking about not um, making comparisons, good and bad, and so forth. Attribute of the wall is that it's undivided. Right. Personally, a wall is undivided. I don't think it's on, actually. For For the video audience, the wall is undivided and doesn't have comparative 
attributes, activity. Right. We have a wall theme going here. <laughs> I liked the way you described the wall, and I've always thought of the wall as nothing sticks to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's another aspect. And you know, we also we also uh, you know walls come up in our in our mythology of practice, right? Uh, Bodhidharma uh, sat. Uh, facing a wall, uh, but uh, the wall he faced uh, wasn't a wall that divided anything. It was a wall that integrates, that 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 unites. So you can imagine that there's a wall that you face, and this is the wall that unites body and mind. The ignites, the ignites. What did I say? <laughs> unites, <laughs> unites experiencing uh, with thinking whereas you know and you could you could say that you know that that uh, the practice of the practice of Zen is actually um, to um, you know to eliminate the in, in a way you could say the practice of Zen is to is to eliminate you know recognition the thinking afterwards and just directly experience what's you know, just directly be open to the experience that that is coming, and when we drop our thinking, and then we can receive a direct sights, direct sounds, um, it uh, it enlivens us, you know, greatly to have that to just uh, have this unfiltered awareness coming. Uh, of course, we need our thinking. We need our thinking, and we will always have it. It won't be a problem to always have our thinking. But there is a wall that we could face in our practice that unites body and mind. Jim, I like what you talk that, that saying from Jung, and, and the way you emphasize it, recognition, but without the emphasis. Just the word recognition is to recognize, as if ah, it's something is hap it's it happened already, and now I'm recognizing it. Recognize. Re recognize. Yeah. Recognize. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, then that's yeah. that's, but we but we're we're mostly not aware, um, in that that our thinking is you know we're, we're, we the thinking. Kind of blinds us to the experiencing, to 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 the to the to the experiencing, and so uh, this is the I think the um, the downside of our our active mind is that we don't know how to turn it off, and it can blind us to um, our direct experience. Uh, so I wanted to say something uh, more about uh, Tassajara and what we did there. And uh, what we did there when we were on uh, study time uh, was that we were reading a poem uh, called uh, The Song of the Grass Hut. Uh, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, that poem is by uh, Shirto Zikian. 
in, in Chinese, that's as best I can do. In Japanese, we say Sekito Kisen. And he's one of our Zen ancestors. He lived in the eighth century. And he wrote a, um, an, another song uh, called The Harmony of Difference and Equality, which we chant here regularly. Um, but this is a poem. This is this this uh, song of the grass hut is a is a poem that he wrote, and we we read this poem and uh, talked about it a little bit. And uh, I'd like to read you the first part of this tonight. Sekito's poem, the song of the grass hut. I built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside or outside or in between. Places worldly people live, he doesn't live. Realms worldly people love, he doesn't love. Though the hut is small and it, it includes the entire world, in 10 square feet an old man illumines forms and their nature. The great vehicle Bodhisattva trusts without doubt. The middling and the lowly can't help wondering, will this hut perish or not? Perishable or not, the original master is present, not dwelling south or north, east or west. Firmly based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the pines, jade palaces and vermilion towers can't compare with it. So at Tassahara, I responded to this particularly to these lines based on kind of how I was feeling at that time. Firmly, based on steadiness, it can't be surpassed. A shining window below the green pines, jade palaces or vermilion towers can't compare with it. So again, for me, this is, you know, brings me back to the mind-like a wall, firmly based on steadiness. To me, that's where this poem is coming from. Nothing can compare to it. This mind is uh, not overthrown by the winds of change or the twists of fate or by our habitual thinking. When you give rise to a mind like that, nothing compares to it. And, uh, you know, Vermilion Towers of, you know, the Indian Sutras, you know, mention, you know, the site of enlightenment and, you know, there's all these jewels and flowers raining down from the heavens and so forth. And here, you know, this is so different, you know, this is such a different feeling. It's so, it's so, such a humble setting, you know, a grass hut with nothing of value. Just, just a, a very, very, very plain place. And yet it's, it's the site 
It's, it's the sight, this humble sight is the sight of enlightenment, the sight of awakening. So, uh, you know, I think many people uh, think they have to go to a special place to do practice. And uh, it's good to occasionally do that. I think it's very good to go to quite a special place uh, uh, where, pe where people have been practicing for a long time or where people practice together regularly like here. Uh, but also, uh, you know, you can find a wall anywhere you are. Uh, Dogen doesn't even mention a wall. He just says, uh, for Zazen, a quiet room is suitable. That's all he says about the site, you know, that you need for practice. A quiet room is suitable. He says, set out a thick cushion and place a cushion uh, uh, no, set out a quick uh, uh, a mat, a thick mat, and place a cushion above it. So you need you need a room, and you need a, a mat, and a cushion, and that's all the equipment. That's all the equipment you need to do this practice. You know, wonderful places like Tassajara, or even Sacramento Dharma Center, are nice. But uh, you can actualize this way right where you are, right where you live, right in your house, right in your apartment. Just set out a thick mat and place a cushion above it. Find a nice wall. Sit facing that wall. Encourage your mind like a wall. I'll read the three last stanzas of Shirto's poem. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. Who would proudly arrange seats trying to entice guests? Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Meet the ancestral teachers. Be familiar with their instruction. Bind grasses to build a hut and don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. If you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. Or just be willing to be fully present in this skin bag here and now. So I invited uh, those who uh, went to Tassajara to contribute tonight, if they had anything to offer, and some of them already have, but I think I would like to uh, uh, 
well, let's see. I have a poem that was contributed by Cody, but you had also had something, did you not, Oscar? You wanted to comment? Yeah. And who else? There was Larry must have something to say. A word, a word or two. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, please go ahead. Um. Thank you very much, Jim. Uh, that was a, a, a very nice talk and a lovely reading, I thought, of the grass hut. Really nice. Um, so the um, what I had in mind to say was that the, the uh, last stanza, uh, if you want to know the undying person in the grass hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. Uh, really have been resonating with me. And um, I, I think those are the same as saying, that's the same as saying, be present. And the same as, as the um, advice we sometimes hear that um, ordinary mind is Buddha. Ordinary mind. And uh, it, it, it leads me to think, um, well, how do I separate from uh, from here and now? How do I separate from myself? And I think, uh, and it's really been helpful for me to think that. And I think there are two ways. And they, they very much line up with your earlier thoughts based on uh, the um, king and his emissary and the nature of mind which is actually a few years old. And I think Barry would say, oh, that's, there's been a lot of discovery since then. Mm. Um, one way I separate is by uh, imagining um, that there's another reality uh, or other realities, the cognition you were talking about. Um, and those realities either better than the one I'm currently experiencing, or worse. Those are the two kinds of other realities I think about. Um, and I think it's, so my thinking about this now is that that's easy to do because of uh, the nature of perception. Because as Buddha said, we, we, uh, we create the world. With our minds we create the world. And as a current uh, recent um, someone with a recent, a neuroscientist recently wrote and published um, the thought that um, perception, re reality is a controlled hallucination, he said. So neuroscientists are, seems to me, are rediscovering what Buddha said uh, 2,600 years ago. So far I haven't seen them give any credit to Buddha, but anyway, it's nice that They've come to that thought. So um, it's easy to get mixed up between the various hallucinations that it, our mind is creating. It's easy to um, think, even, even though I know my imaginative reality is not quite the same, is not the same as the uh, one I'm experiencing at the moment and making up through my sensing. But it's 
it's easy for me to, in, in some unconscious way, to give it a reality, to think it's real. And in doing that, I, my, my experience is that I divide myself. I no longer have that unified wall mind. I have a split mind. Part of it is here, uh, but not all of it. Some of it is not present here and now. Some of it is off. Not just thinking about how I might change the world, you know, buy a can of peas or whatever for dinner, but actually having some kind of investment in that, thinking it's real in some way, so that um, so that I'm split. I'm split off. The other way is by um, thinking that I have emotions and thoughts. This is an illusion that I have emotions and thoughts. It's like thinking that I have uh, a shirt or a social security number. I don't actually have emotions and thoughts. They're not separate from me. They're not something that I possess. Um, so, um, so Reb recently, last month at Nobode, gave a teaching which I found very helpful, which was that thoughts and um, and feelings are sentient beings. It's not that I'm a sentient being and have thoughts and emotions. The thoughts and emotions are sentient beings. They have consciousness and they have feelings. That's a sentient being. So I find it, it, when I think about my thoughts and emotions in that way, uh, there's less of a tendency to imagine them as something else that's happening. Um, less tendency to split off. Um, and that also seems to me to have some relevance to the concept of practice realization. Because when we're practicing in that way, when we are not split off, when we're practicing with a unified mind, uh, that practice is also, uh, you might say, the realization of, uh, of our practice. They're the same thing. So, um, so thank you for choosing that poem uh, for us to read. Um, yeah. uh, just one question. How would Buying a can of peas for dinner saved the world. <laughs> Everything saves the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answer. Just remember that. When in doubt, buy a can of peas for dinner. <laughs> or something. Not to diminish your other words, but you mentioned the word shirt, which reminded me there's a blue shirt in the cushion room if anybody belongs to it. It's mine in the corner of that closet. Oh, solid. Thank you very much. You're welcome. 
I just had this thought about that one line. If you want to know the undying person in this room, don't separate from the skin bag. It's quite a paradox, isn't it? Because we all think that that skin bag is not undying. It will perish. So how is it that if you want to understand the undying person, don't separate from the skin bag? And I'll just leave it for us all to maybe think about it. But, but I, uh, I wanted to uh, respond to your invitation to mention a couple of words about uh, being at Tazahara and what it means for one's practice. Um, and, and you know, this is the second time that I went to Tazahara. I went the first time with one year of practice under my belt, and I was—I didn't know what to make of it. It was—it uh, was just like so different a place than anywhere I had ever been to, and it was so silent. It was like, what's going on here? I, I don't quite understand. Nothing. But it was completely different when I went back again five years later. And uh, I would say the, the highlight for me of being at Tassar is, is just a couple of things. Is one is sitting in that zendo. Just to be able to sit in that zendo with all the, the students and the monks and this rushing Tassar Creek, which is just right outside the zendo. And you have complete silence not complete silence. There's bells and there's drums at various times. But it was just, you, you uh, yes, you can sit in a room in your house or apartment on a cushion uh, and a mat. That is absolutely true. But it, it's not exactly the same as sitting in, in that <laughs> zendo. So I was... That really was just, uh, I mean, the sitting was really, and it was like that when I was in Green Gulch too, the, the sit, just the sitting with people who you just, you, it's the support. It's the support of the Sangha. And maybe some of you feel it. And, uh, and then um, the, it wasn't much sitting, but there was a schedule. And there was a schedule. At 5.35, the bell rings, you get up at 6.00. 5.55, everyone is in the zendo. We eat at a certain time. At 5.50 p.m., there's a 10-minute service. You come in and you... And, and, and something about that schedule, too, helps support uh, practice, I, f I felt uh, strongly. Um, and the silence. Even when it wasn't silent, it felt silent to me, you know, except for the dish room. We won't talk about that. Um, so, so that was that was that the schedule, the zendo, the silence. And it was just as simple as that. That's all it really took, you know. That that was enough for me. So, thank you. That's such an important aspect of our practice um, to um, uh, have some time, some place some schedule to turn yourself over to and just completely turn yourself over to and be on time for every period 
And when the bell rings, get up and do the next thing. And just, you know, turn yourself, you know, over to it. And, and then notice your resistance to turning yourself over to it, um, if you have resistance to it. Or notice if you love turning yourself over to it, notice that, you know. And um, there's various people, you know, some love turning yourself, themselves over to the schedule and some resist turning themselves over to the schedule. But still, just, you know, this is it's one, it's one opportunity to really, you know, somebody's going to cook for you, somebody's going to tell you, you know, what the next thing is, and you just, you just can let go of a lot of your usual, what do I do next and what should I take care of now? And it's so freeing to, to do that. Uh, and you can do it for one day here, or you can do it, uh, you know, in a retreat with us sometime, but uh, a longer retreat. But uh, anyway, it's something to consider, this aspect of turning yourself over to the schedule. And now Susan wants to say something. Well, not much. Not much. Um yeah, yeah, I really like the schedule. That's that's the best thing of monetary, or one of the best things of going to monasteries is the schedule. Um, I appreciate what Larry was expressing because he was expressing felt experience. You know, I mean, and that's that's where I was going to go. Also, um, one of the things that I liked the best was work period because um, Oscar and I were really fortunate to be able to work in the Zendo. And so we had, uh, what was it, three hours, four hours? Plus a little break. Yeah. um, To work in the Zendo. And it was just like really special. We were very, I I felt very fortunate to be able to be in there um, for that long a period of time. It was a really cool place. The floors, all of the feet that have been on those floors and colored them, you know, um, just, yeah, it was, it's, that was, that was really special. And the other thing that we haven't actually mentioned is the hot springs. Now that was also really, I mean, that was really a lovely, quiet, soothing, Totally meditative experience to to be in in those those pools. Those were really quite wonderful. Um, but yeah, the the thing about Tassajara is the felt experience of being there. Um, so like I didn't I don't um, I didn't do enough preparation on the poem on the song. So I can't really speak to that. I did very little prep on that, and I, I need to do that. It's, but I did it. Um, but the felt experience, just and and the schedule, very freeing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, completely freeing is the schedule. So yeah, work period is is. I really like it. I like work period a lot. I like the sitting too, but I like work period as much. Hmm. It's like sitting, only different. Well, I 
forgot to mention um, also mind like a wet noodle coming out of the baths. A wet noodle sticks to a wall. <laughs> Just that 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 uh, I was countered Susan walking down the path and uh, I, I was at living at Tassajara when when Thich Nhat Hanh came to visit one time. It was quite a special you know thing to be with him, but. When I was see, seeing Susan walking down that path, it reminded me of Thich Nhat Hanh's p- pace. Just, just slow, slow, slow. No, no rush at all in those feet. So uh, it's uh, it's hard to slow down that much, but it's it's very it's very good to s- slow down as much as that. How are we doing? Oh, I have one more offering. Um, this is from Cody, uh, who's our resident poet, uh, Cody Miller. And I don't think he's here, but he sent me this poem today, and I can't help but read it. This is called, uh, well, this was, um, he wrote it about our time at Tassajara together. I don't know if he wrote it at Tassajara, but it's called Valley Streams. Firmly planting ourselves amongst an assembly of withering trees, together we entered into the valley of, what is it? Clear, cloudless, crisp mornings. Who left a skull in the zendo? Flowing, abounding, resounding, inside, outside, all sides, with the creek's dragon howl. The vast, inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. Silence and laughter, Dharma talk and building fences talk, warm meals with warm friends. Within the belly of the mountain monastery, you can forget who is digesting who. It just happens. The blue mountains running into night an unseen creek roaring in the dark. Thus, these mountain monks don't understand at all. (laughs) Very good, Cody. Thank you. (laughs) In absentia. Cody sacrificed being with his one-year-old boy to be with us at Tassajara for five days. Well, does anybody have any questions or further comments that they'd like to? This I open it up to everybody now, whether you were at Tassar or whether maybe you've been on retreat somewhere else, or you know, or you have some comment. It's okay. Lisa, oh, you have to wait for the microphone. There. Okay. I can't stop thinking about the other sense of mind like a wall, like your own mind is an obstruction. Hmm. That was what I thought when you first said it. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's not the sense in which uh, I'm bringing it up, and it's not the, but. Um, 
that 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 that's certainly a reasonable thing to think um, that um, that there 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 is a, there are qualities of mind that cut us off as well as unite us you know integrate us um, so um, it's just um, uh, our practice to um, be in touch with the mind that's arising now, and if it's a mind of that's obstructing, uh, then uh, we just we say, you know, um, it's not pleasant. Usually, you know, mind that's obstructing. I'm not thinking of it anyway as a pleasant thing. I'm thinking of it as kind of unpleasant. But nevertheless, pleasant or unpleasant, uh, um, facilitative of delusion or facilitative of enlightenment, um, if we can, you know, stay with what is what is actually in front of us, whatever that wall is, it will change. You know, I won't hold on to the kind of mind of the wall that I'm. Talking about and 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 hopefully the you know people other people won't hold or when I have an obstructed mind hopefully I won't I I'm not hopefully I won't hold on to that one either um, so these you know this is a this is a, a metaphorical wall uh, but we can use that metaphor uh, hopefully to um, uh, just recognize present experience what is this present experience. And um, and experience it directly. Um, I think that is, um, you know, Jung said all cognition is recognition. I'm not so sure all. I'm not so sure. I think I think that could be called into question. But as you know, nevertheless, it's certainly true. In the main, yeah, it's certainly true in the main. Um, but you know, we could say that bodhicitta, bodhicitta, is is not that kind of uh, recognition. Actually, it's not. It's 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 like bodhicitta is like the which means uh, mind of awakening or. or the thought of enlightenment, that is that is direct. That is a direct perception of reality and our understanding that there is this capacity for a direct seeing of reality uh, without any obstruction. Uh, so there are, yeah, go ahead, Sarah. I had a similar response to that. And what came to my mind was uh, some reading that I'd done about what people call free will. Uh, and you know, with some of the neuroscience tools that they have now, they found that uh, the brain is registering a decision before the subject reports, that's my decision. So there's this time lag in here. And so the idea that we have free will is, is a delusion. Our, our bodies and our senses have already 
made a decision on what we're going to do. And then this I comes in and says, oh, I'm going to do that. So that, to me, is an obstruction of the mind. And I think it also, for me, points to a, a very profound Buddhist teaching in that, that what we're really looking at, that there really is no I. And once when you come to that, that there's no I to make the decision, that's the liberating thing about um, no wall at all. So, yeah, that image of the wall doesn't resonate with me at all. But uh, that idea about free will and working through the, the neurophysiology of those kinds of decisions, to me, is the most freeing um, insight into no self. Yeah, I, I agree. A wall isn't the most like natively appealing image for uh, for uh, freedom, <laughs> but yet that's the way I am talking about it. I I can relate to uh, your ambivalence about the metaphor of, of a wall. Um, I heard that quote. Um, a long time ago at uh, what's it called um, on that retreat center up in the mountains above Monterey Bay um, and the way I heard it uh, is it's a quote from Bodhidharma right from Bodhidharma <laughs> mm -hmm. and the, the quote was um, cease all involvement within, with externals and with a mind like a wall, enter the way. So in that context, it's a little clearer. But I still, for a long, for years and years, although gradually the meaning that we've been discussing tonight dawned on me, for years and years I still had that image of, you know, a wall, like a wall. Um, but, uh, yeah, but now it's pretty clear to me that it's a big stone wall or maybe a cave wall that is just its own thing and solid and undivided. Um, so, but it's just a metaphor. <laughs> okay, well, I think maybe it's... Uh Time to end. Thank you for your attention and uh, play freely with uh, metaphors in this practice. That's 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 permitted.